What's going on, everybody? It is time for yet another bonus episode of the So Wizard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey DiCarlo. With me is the awesome Adam Wallyhawk. Adam, what have you brought for us today? This time we're sitting down with Kazi Toganis. He is an up-and-coming actor. You might not know his name, but you've definitely seen him in things. He was in John Wick and The Equalizer 2, just to name a couple. But his IMDb has 48 acting credits, and he's been acting for 10 years. He's a really interesting guy. Awesome. So looking forward to hear this. Take it away. All right. Uh, hey, everybody. I'm sitting down with Kazi Toganus, uh, actor, writer, producer, kind of does everything. Uh, how you doing, Kazi? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? Doing good. Um, I was reading your bio, and you had a really interesting path to your career. Uh, you started in restaurants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I then had be- a, uh, Go ahead. I had a tw- yeah, I had a twenty-four hour diner in New York City. Twenty-four hour. Uh, in Newark, Delaware, right by the University of Delaware. Oh wow! Okay. And then you became a Golden Glove boxer, which is no small feat. <laughs> Yeah, I actually, I actually, before I boxed, I actually boxed while I, competitively while I had the diner, um, but I actually, my sport of choice when I was younger was actually figure skating, and then I got fed up with that and went after another sport that I really wanted to do, um, so no, no regrets on the, on the athletic uh, battlefield. Yeah, really, I mean, that's two incredibly intense sports. Yeah, yeah. And one would not expect that someone would have done both. No, that was exactly my thought, but I imagine <laughs> the figure skating probably really made the footwork in boxing pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, luckily I, have, I, got, I got a little rhythm, and the movement wasn't, uh, wasn't really the issue. Um, it was uh, just, it's funny because they're, very, they're in, in incredibly different sports, but they're also very similar in the sense that they're both uh, incredibly subjective. Okay, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. So you, how do you go when, from... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, how do you go from running a restaurant, especially a 24 one, uh, which is one of the most demanding jobs, to two incredibly demanding sports, into wanting to become an actor, which is also an incredibly demanding job? <laughs> well, you know... Um, I always, when I was when I was younger, I, I realized pretty early I'm, I'm an only child, and I knew I didn't really like working for other people. Uh, probably why uh, the appeal to uh, figure skating, you know, when I was you know a preteen, and uh, I also enjoyed performing, and I ended up going to the University of Delaware, which was about the only place uh, in in the U.S. at that time that you could actually go to school and skate competitively at the same time because the rink was right on campus and it was like, you know, figure skating was part of their program there. Uh, And, you know, I was just, I kind of just went through the the motions of college because I always, again, I felt I always wanted to do like my own thing. I didn't know exactly what that was going to be because when you're early 20s, you know, your focus is who knows. And when I got closer to graduation, I walked away from skating. I just kind of got fed up with the politics and uh, a lot of the darker sides of the sport just kind of got to me, and I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this thing. 
and uh, I competed on the collegiate circuit and uh, did well and it was a lot more fair and it wasn't any politics it was very straight up just doing you know collegiate um, and around the same time a friend of mine mentioned that he had a, gone to a boxing gym and I had always had an interest in boxing I used to carry boxing gloves in a trunk of my car in case anyone ever wanted to box at a party and stuff I kind of weird <laughs> all right <laughs> um <laughs> it was uh i mean i always enjoyed boxing it's just like i never thought of like entering a boxing gym until i let one sport go and it was like probably within a few months that i when i come through like from the last time i put skates on like probably within six months i walked into a boxing gym and then i never looked back and also in that time um i was working at this 24-hour diner the owner was in his 50s and he and his wife were exhausted you know they were splitting the shift one of them would work the day one of them would work the night and he just really wanted out and i just happened to be at the right place at the right time and uh the opportunity was there and when i had been out of school for like a few months i was like 23 years old and this diner thing just kind of fell into my lap and i i uh, i took it and it's one of those weird kismet type things because I remember when I was, you know, just starting at the University of Delaware and I walked past that dining car on Main Street and I would see this dining car and it would be empty. And, and I'd, I'd think, man, if I was going to have a business on this street, I'd want that place. And then sure enough, four years later, it actually happened. That's unbelievable. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, in over my head, 23. Um, you know, I had uh, the, the most business experience that I really had was, um, you know, selling Amway products out of my dorm room. Um, but I felt very confident that I'd be able to do it. Uh, it was just a lot of, lot of learning on the job type stuff. Um, and it was a very stressful, it was a very, very stressful experience. And I had no regrets. You know, I, I could go on, I could have stories for days and talk your ear off with that but essentially what ended up happening is um the lease was coming to a close and the landlord uh put me in a month-to-month -month situation and uh as things unfolded it turned out that he had some very different plans for the property that did not involve keeping my rent at a reasonable rate and i ended up having to you know close the doors forever and um, and, and just have to take a restart on my entire life around. And I was like 27 at the time. So oh, that's I, rough. Uh, I just decided, I was like, wow, if I've kept to literally completely start over with no money, nothing, what do I really want to do? And uh, it's so funny, again, you know, how, how, how life works out and things happen and kismet. It's, it was uh, a couple of brothers who asked to use the diner as a location for a shoot. Uh, and they ended up having an actor drop out last second, just didn't show up. And they turned to me and they asked me if I would fill in for the guy. And I did. And after the shoot, one of the brothers came up to me and he was just like, man, you're really good. You should be an actor. And I could not let that thought go. And it just <laughs> stayed there. It was just like, it just grew and it grew and it grew to the point where I went to the, um, I went to the New York film Academy. Um, I went to their open house and i just fell in love with what they had to say about their acting program matthew modine uh showed up and spoke to to us as potential students and 
uh, I was sold. And after that, I just knew that I had to follow this other path. So it was like one door closed. Uh, tragically, unfortunately, it was, it was a really rough ending. Um, but then another door opened, and I've been on that path ever since. It's pretty incredible that a lot of it came down to um, just being ready for the opportunity when it came. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It, it, you know, I think it's funny. I, I'm a firm believer in energy, and um, I think that, you know, there are things that are working outside of um, what we can see. Uh, I just, I've, I've, I've had experiences in my life that have just proven to be the, that type of thing. I mean, you know, what's the probability of just me looking at this diner and being like, if I was ever to own this, uh, a business, I'd own this. And then all of a sudden, four years later, it falls into my lap or me coming to a place where I knew I was going to have to start over. And it just, it, it, the path just illuminated so clearly. And it was just no, there was like, to me, it was like, this is going to be my career path. I'm going to do this 100%. And I was like, in my mind, I was like, either we're going to, you know, we're going to get on billboards or we're going to die trying. And I was like, and I will never quit and I will never stop. And I, I think going back to acting school um, and really immersing myself in this creative world was probably one of the best decisions of my entire life. And from what I can see, it looks like you really, exactly what you just said is what you're doing. I mean, You've been acting 10, 11 years now, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I spent a year at the New York Film Academy. I graduated at the tail end of 2008. So, no, excuse me, 2009. Um, so, yeah, I'd say end of 2009. Now we're, yeah, we're, we're right around 10 years attempting to be in the industry and after one year of schooling yeah i mean attempting you have like 40 something credits on your acting resume <laughs> it's, it seems like you're doing it <laughs> yeah i mean uh it's been it's been a slow climb it hasn't it hasn't been uh, uh it hasn't been easy uh but to me i just look at it is is every year am i am i improving uh am i ahead of where i was the previous year and that was my litmus test. It wasn't, it wasn't one where I could hold myself to some kind of monetary standard. I ended up, I had to wait tables for eight years while I lived in New York. I lived on, uh, I slept on a couch for two and a half years uh, until I was able to financially, finally stabilize to the point where I could afford a bedroom. I mean, it was, you know, after the diner, I, you know, financially I was decimated. So. Um, you know, it's been this steady climb and, it, and, it, and it's been an interesting climb. I, I hired a, um, uh, an acting mentor, uh, Gwyn Gillis from the actor's market. And that was another really, really good decision. And she laid out the slow path to success for acting. And she was like, this is how it will go if you have to step by step by step get to whatever place that you're trying. And so far it is literally worked out exactly how she said it, it it would and how we planned and it was like it went from um you know doing tons of indie little tiny you know short film projects like even when i was in school i did 50 student films while i was in the new york film academy i did every student film that they asked me to do in one uh, year <laughs> and i i just totally indulged in uh, and took advantage of the system that they had there because their acting program works in conjunction with their filmmaking program. So it went 
indie, a lot, a lot of indie kind of stuff, and then we ended up um, booking, I booked this com uh, industrial for the U.S. Army, and then I ended up getting a commercial agent and booking a few non-union commercials, and then at, that was like a few years in the industry, and then I, I started really, really focusing on meeting casting directors because they're the gatekeepers to the industry for an actor, and I ended up getting in John Wick at the uh, tail end of 2013. And that was like my first big credit. And then it's just been, you know, um, still challenging, but a steady, a steady climb. You find that when you uh, book a job like that, it makes the next job of that level that much easier? Or is it all kind of the same? So it's, it's funny, right? Um, I was able to book uh, John Wick without uh, representation. I had no legit representation at that time. I only, and I was non-union still. I was, I was SAG eligible. I wasn't even the acting union. Um, but the, you know, uh, Christy Street casting, Kate, Kate Geller was the one who called me in. Just, I guess she really liked my work. And I had taken a class with her. And, you know, uh, literally the day after I had a class with her, she had me read for, you know, one of the, one of the bad guys that kills the dog in, uh, in Wick. And I, I ended up going, I did well in the audition. They had me come in for a director session. I met David Leach. I met the writer, uh, Derek Holstead. I, and I, it was like, this is a huge leap. It was like a totally new world for me. You know, before I was used to like indie auditions where they're like reading and there's no camera and, you know, and this was just like a whole, a whole new, you know, experience. But then I didn't hear anything and then they brought me back in for like a uh, for a stunt audition and I ended up meeting the stunt team and then I didn't hear anything anymore and, and I saw that they co cast another actor for the role and I just kind of let it go uh, and then the like a week before they wrapped on John Wick they called me in to play this uh, character named Ivan uh, straight you know they said would, would you be interested and I was like oh, yeah I'll be interested yeah yes, <laughs> yeah I mean, really <laughs> you know <laughs> Uh, and it was it was uh, it was awesome, you know. Uh, my my first day down set, the first person I see walking to my as I'm getting walked to my trailer, which was the first time I'd ever been walked to a trailer on set, uh, was Keanu Reeves. And I just remember, uh, you know, we said we you know we greeted each other, and I thought to myself, well, boy, am I in the right place, you know? Yeah, that's and, an incredible opportunity. Yeah, and they were great. You know, it was a great set. I got to see them blow up cars. You know, I, I got to work with, you know, David Leach and uh, Chad Stahelski, and, and, and they're like veterans in the stunt game. You know, they owned 8711, so I was able to watch the stunt guys working, and, you know, I was able to, to meet and talk to Keanu, and it was just like a really, really uh, great first experience for me as far as being on a big set, you know. Um, but... Ironically, even having booked a Hollywood film that spawned two massive sequels, I was unable to get any type of legit representation. I had a meeting with an agent the day after I wrapped on John Wick. Two, I did two days, and I went to, uh, to meet with her, and she just you know, was like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, that's great, yeah, sure, okay nothing no no contract nothing and to me in my head i was just i remember thinking like does do they is she not understanding that i that i literally got on a hollywood film without a rep like isn't that like what you want in someone that you would want on your roster and this it, i stayed unrepresented for probably almost actually about a year 
it was like a whole year almost that I still couldn't find a rep. And I ended up booking two episodes of Blacklist uh, through Christy Street Casting because they were just calling me directly. And I ended up getting on two episodes, the last two episodes of the first season of Blacklist uh, on my own without a rep. And finally, it was towards the end of 2014 when I met my manager and uh, I, I did one of those uh, meet and greets where you pay to meet a rep, rep or you pay to meet a rep and we just vibed and she was awesome and she decided to, uh, she offered me a contract the next day and I've been with her ever since. No, oh, that's good because yeah, that's, that's yeah. bizarre that you walk off a of John Wick and you're like, hey, good for you, okay. Yeah, I mean, it was, I was, I was just shocked. And I, I, after that meeting, I met with a few other people, you know, but that one stuck out in my mind because I, I was so fresh off of this big booking and it was like, it, it meant nothing to And I was like, what? Like, I'm, I'm in my head. I'm like, do you know how hard it is to, to get in a movie without a, a rep unless your uncle is the producer? I was like, you know, what's going on? Seriously. But, it's funny. It's just, this industry has a really, um, a really unique way of always bringing you back to reality. You know, the euphoria is felt when you get the booking. You're on set. You're doing your thing, and then it's like when the job is over, you get that last check, and then you're like, oh, so what's next? Where where do I go from here? You know, and and no one really ever just comes along and says, "Hey, this is it. This is this is the next thing." You know, um, it's always it's like back to square one after after each booking. And sometimes, you know, the square one, you know, the the the, the line has been pushed up a little bit, but it's always you know you you move forward and then you got to backpedal. You move forward, you got to move back. It's like this constant ebb and flow, like the ocean. You know, but you just keep getting a little farther out every time that you that you tread forward. I was actually wondering if your experience as a boxer, because you're, you know, literally taking hits and trying to build your reputation, did that help prepare you at all for the, the more mental hits of what you were just describing with the forward and back? Um, you know, it's funny. I didn't really ever, like, I don't, I would have, initially when I started auditioning, I would get a little nerve kick here and there. Um but it was due to uh, not lack of preparation, but lack of understanding of the process, right? So like with boxing, it's like you learn from mistakes and whatnot, and, and that's applicable to life in general, is like actually learning from mistakes that are made and then seeing how you could correct them. So pretty early on, I realized that I needed to really work on my audition game and that's where Gwen really helped me out a lot. She, I, I, I did one of her seminars where literally I, I, we did like eight auditions in one day and I just felt so much more confident after that. And I felt once my audition game was on point and I felt confident going into that room talking to one or two people, um, I mean, compared to me getting punched in the face in front of a couple of hundred people in a ballroom, like I was like, this is nothing, this is like, you know, nothing is going to be as intense as what I had been through, you know, those experiences. Cause like, no matter how good you're feeling going into a fight or whatever, it's still, you know, it's still intense. You know, you have people screaming. It's just like, it's just, you know, it's a, it's this whole experience, which, um, they're short of maybe acting on stage can kind of simulate the rush that you get from that. 
So auditioning after I felt like my skill set was down, um, you know, I just felt that that preparedness and that that confidence that you would get. So boxing has definitely helped in more than one way. It's probably opened more doors for me to get acting jobs. Like I haven't played a boxer that often, honestly, like standing eight, my own, so I had to cast myself as a boxer to get a really juicy boxing role. <laughs> right. Um, but they experienced the experience of knowing how to fight and being able to do these specific, you know, uh, physical things um, probably helped me land more gigs than anything else that and maybe being able to do like an Eastern European accent, you know. Okay. I, I did want to about that because you mentioned in John Wick you had a stunt audition, I think you called it. Yeah, they had me, I, I, I auditioned for, uh, I had like two regular auditions and then they brought me in for uh, a stunt team audition. Okay, so, so it was a different role. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, honestly, to this day, I don't even know what, I, I don't know, because they ended up, I needed to do, like when I ended up getting booked, I had to do like a fall. So it might have just been a thing to see like which actors they knew they could bring in for like those smaller roles that could possibly handle their own you know, to deliver lines and do stunt-related things. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah. Because um, I didn't have a rep at that time, so when I just got called from the casting office, I just would go. I didn't have any idea what was going on behind the scenes or what they were actually looking for. So luckily at that time, you know, I, I also went out and got myself um, a couple of stunt certifications just for stuff like that. So, like, if I need to take a fall or I need to do this or that, I can, you know, or a fight scene that I can do it myself. They don't need to bring someone in for me. It, that makes a lot of sense because I see you've done, um, you were in the second Equalizer. Uh, you mentioned yeah. um, Blacklist. Um, you were in Turn, Person of Interest, Blind Spot. They're all pretty action heavy shows. Yeah. Or projects. Yeah. 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 Most of the, um, most of the, te- like, well, yeah, pretty much all the television stuff that I've, that I've done required some form of, physicality um i've had more uh of a of a range when it comes to like film you know as far as like character wise like um just over the course of the last year uh i played a doctor in a 1920s period piece i played uh, a cop a hockey player a detective you know what i mean it's just been like all over the map as far as film goes. Um, yeah, that's great, though. Yeah, yeah, I, and I, 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 I appreciate that because, um, you know, it's not like, like I, I feel like if you're playing the same type of thing or the same character over, 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 and over, and over, and over, and over, and over, even if it's enjoyable, I then feel like it can turn into like a day job. You know? I could see that, yeah. You're, you're and, not exploring anymore. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I personally just like to wear different hats and try different things. And, you know, to me, that's more creatively fulfilling, just doing different stuff. And I've been, I've been blessed enough to have, you know, had those doors open for me. Um, that I'm not just like a one-trick pony. Absolutely. Um, I was going to ask, uh, what was a standout experience you had on one of these sets? Because, I mean, these projects are, are massive. Oh, I mean, when I booked uh, Equalizer 2, that was, I mean, from start to finish, that was a that was a game changer. 
um, just the just the, the the concept that I was able to get into that movie uh, with all the people that I know that they saw for you know playing like well, I was one of the four main villains in that film and to be able to have gotten into that was like a, I felt like huge I never expected when I sent over the self tape it was like a a very last second thing um, at the time my my best friend's father had passed away uh, due to complications to uh, hip surgery and uh, I had just gotten off Sneaky Pete I'd worked on Sneaky Pete and I got I wrapped on Sneaky Pete on a Thursday and then I was gonna fly out uh, I had to go back to my day job waiting tables um, that Friday and then that Saturday I was going to fly out for the services for my best friend's father and I the audition for Equalizer 2 came in Friday night because um, it was it was from LA they, they're on a different clock so I realized it was due Monday but I was going to be in Chicago for the services all weekend so I had one night that I had to do the audition so I called one of my friends uh and she came out immediately. She was at my apartment by like 9.30. Before midnight, we had done the tape. I didn't even know the lines. I literally just took the, the pages and I just put them all over my eye lines so that I could just like look like I was saying, but I was really reading. <laughs> uh, it was like, I had no time, you know? I was like, I went over it a bunch of times, but I was like, I, I, I'm just gonna have to lay this down. And uh, we, we laid it down. I sent it out that same night and then just kind of let it go. And I remember telling one of my one of my friends who I hadn't seen at, at the uh, at the wake. Uh, he was, you know, he asked me how things had been going with acting. And I was like, well, I just auditioned to play, uh, you know, a bad guy in uh, in Equalizer Two. And and I remember him telling me he was like, oh man, he was like, you're getting close. And sure enough, that following Thursday, I was I was very frustrated that I had to leave Chicago and. Um, I felt like I needed to stay there with my with my best friend. I, you know, but I had to come back to work because I'd already missed all these days for Sneaky Pete, and I was so miserable at work that week. Uh, and about uh, probably it was like Thursday, probably about 1:30 p.m. that I was at the day job, and I was uh, I was I was I was raging on the inside because I just felt like I'm at this job where I I. I I'm dealing with, you know, uh, customers on 42nd Street in Manhattan, you know, high maintenance, um, and just like trying to keep cool. And I remember looking up at the ceiling and, and saying, please, God, get me out of this job. You know, just like I was like, just, uh, you know, fists clenched, you know, at the sky, you know. Yeah. And 3.30, my manager calls my phone. I see a missed call. And I... She texts me, call me back immediately. So I'm like, all right, you know, the lunch rush has died down. I, I call her. I said, she's like, I have some, I have some good news. I said, we got good news. I was like, let me guess. They're going to bring me back to Sneaky Pete for another episode. And she was like, no, you're going to be acting with Denzel Washington. And I collapsed. <laughs> That's a great phone call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just collapsed. I, uh, I couldn't believe it. It like uh, there's no there is it is incredibly difficult to describe the elation and 
how you feel after for years you've been working towards something and you get you achieve it and you you didn't even really expect it you know it's like you were just like I let it go I was like yeah I didn't get that um but I I collapsed I started you know I was tears in my eyes the the, the workers at the spot thought that like someone died uh, <laughs> and, and I I called I called my mom and it was just it was just a just one of those surreal moments and it happened fast because I met with my manager that night we had dinner we went over everything the next morning I went to the gym I couldn't sleep I was so worried that I was just a ploy to get a bigger actor in the role I was like maybe they're gonna pull the contract I was like you know nothing's been signed yet is this even gonna go so I couldn't sleep I went to the gym I started working out I'm into a workout for maybe like 10 minutes and I get a call um, from the, uh, the the travel uh, coordinator from Equalizer too, and he's like, "Hey man, we'll uh, we'll have a car over there uh, for you at uh, at 11 o'clock." And at that time, it was like 10:15, and then like it'll take you to JFK, and I was like, "Okay, cool, I'll be ready." And I just ran back to my apartment, packed everything up, and then they flew me out to Boston, and it was off to the races. That and is it was, incredible. That's probably on set. It was just the most amazing set that. You know, just the, the, the fact that my first day, I walk up to the set, you know, overwhelmed, but, you know, keeping it contained. And, like, Jason Blumenthal comes over. He was one of the producers on the project. He goes, oh, man, great audition, man. That was great. He was, like, really happy to have you here. And I'm like, I didn't even know who he was at that time. I was like, oh, well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And then, of course, then, um, you know, Antoine Fuqua walks up and... I love his films. I've been a fan of his films since training day, actually even before that, Replacement Killers. And he just walks up and he's like, hey man, welcome. And it was, it, you're just like, to him, he's at work, it's like, a, but for me, it's like a life-changing experience. You yeah, know? you've it's arrived. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm like starstruck, like, hi sir, uh, nice to meet you, I love all your films. <laughs> yeah, but again, I, play, I played it cool, that was me on the inside, but I was like, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. Oh, so we're going to blow up a building today. Okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> Whatever you need. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, exactly. Uh, and I learned a lot from that experience. I, you know, I saw what a, what a, a top-notch set is like for, you know, a, a long period of time. I was on that film for almost three months. Um, you know, got to work with top-notch talent, the stunt team, uh, uh, the stunt coordinator, second unit director was Jeff Dashnaw. Uh, Jeff is a veteran in the industry. I got to working with him and his guys, uh, Mick Gould, who is was the fight coordinator. Mick Gould did the shootout for Heat and all of Michael Mann's stuff. Um, he 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 kind of just tutored me through the whole process because what do I know about professional killing? You know what I mean? Like what do I right. know about how to shoot rifles and all this stuff? And they taught me everything that I needed to know and. Uh, it was just, it was just a amazing experience, you know. By the time I got that rifle and I was on set and they're blowing wind and hurricane and water at me and everything, I just felt really comfortable. Um, and uh, and they told me I looked legit. So as long as as long as they told me I looked legit, I felt legit. I don't think you're gonna find a better teacher than that. No, no, it was it was it was amazing. Just a great experience. That's fantastic. Uh, switching gears a little bit, you did mention uh, Standing 8, which I really wanted to cover. I know you made it a few years ago. 
but it's uh, sure. kind of recently on Amazon Prime. I mean, that was a yeah. really powerful movie. You mind talking about that? Absolutely. Uh, so Standing Eight is uh, an award-winning short film about a professional boxer who's forced to retire after being diagnosed with lupus. Uh, I made the film as a love letter to my mother, who's actually been battling lupus since before I was born. And I just, at, at the time, I had yet to be cast as a boxer. I was getting a little frustrated with the, the industry, and I felt like I wanted to take a little more control. And I had some producing friends, and we all decided to do a project. And uh, we were like, well, if we're going to just do like a warm up, because the whole goal was to get a feature film, I was like, let's just, you know, I was like, I want to play a boxer, so let's, let's do this. And we decided to use Lupus as the plot device. And we were toying with like different versions of the story, and we came up with the idea of um, the boxer actually being uh, diagnosed with Lupus. And we rolled with it. Um, it. We shot in, we raised money on Kickstarter. We shot in 2015. It took about a year of post-production. We released into festivals late, late, late 2016. Most of our festival run happened in 2017. Uh, and then end of 2017 is when I got into Equalizer. So we were running in festivals at that time. I unfortunately missed a couple of them while I was in Boston. Uh, and we did really well uh, on the, in the independent film circuit. We, we took home 12 festival awards and four honorable mentions uh, and screened all over the world. Uh, and it was kind of like, I, then I had to decide what did I want to do with the movie? Because I always felt like I wanted to like work with like the Lupus Foundation, but you know, I would tag them to stuff that I would post and, and you know, no, there'd be no response or anything. Um, and Lupus Research Alliance as well. I had, you know, tried to get their attention, but nothing was really happening. And then when I got on Equalizer, uh, of course, they invited me to the red carpet and for the premiere. So I just decided to wear a Lupus pin. You know, there was really no, like, thought about it other than, well, let me help, help raise awareness for those who have Lupus because I'm going to be in a, you know, in the premiere of a huge film. There's going to be Getty is going to be there and Shutterstock and all these, um, big, big, like, you know, photography venues that cover these types of events. So I, uh, I wore the pin and that's, that was the thing. And the Lupus Foundation reached out to me and they read about the film and they asked how they could help my mother. And it was just like a very positive experience. And it, it worked out exactly how I had hoped that it would. They decided that they were going to back the release of the film. So I, in turn, when they said they wanted to get behind the movie, I decided I wanted to do a recut of it, um, an extended cut, so to speak. So I revisited all of the material and literally recut the entire film from scratch. Um, new edit, new music, new sound design, new color. Uh, and we released in April of this year and held the premiere at Arclight in Hollywood with the Lupus Foundation. and. Um, I've been attending their events. I went to their advocacy summit in Washington, D.C., and lo lobbied lawmakers to to um, to help, you know, pass this funding bill. It was just like, it was, it's been a very, it, it, I can't think of a better way for, like, an artistic project, you know, like a film project to find a home in a way that it can actually help people. And I, I, it's been mostly just an awareness tool. And I think 
it's been really important for the lupus community to see themselves represented on screen, which has not been done very often. It's been done very infrequently. And, um, and that's despite with like the biggest pop star on earth, Selena Gomez having lupus and Tony Braxton having lupus and Nick Cannon having lupus. You know, people still have no idea what the disease does or how it affects people. And for your listeners, if they're wondering what lupus is, lupus is an autoimmune disease wherein the body's healthy organ and tissues are attacked by the immune system because the immune system can no longer differentiate between good and bad cells. And it can attack any system in your body. Uh, there's, there's tons of uh, different sy- uh, symptoms making it incredibly difficult to diagnose the, the, the average is 60 years to get diagnosed with lupus. So there definitely needs to be more awareness, and I've gladly helped try and fill that awareness void, which now I'm working uh, diligently to get a feature film off the ground to uh, using lupus as a plot device. Is the feature a new creation, or is it going to be like a feature-length standing eight? Um, It's a. It is. It's. I would. I could. I could offer up. Standing eight is a proof of concept easily, um, tonally, um, and it's it's a similar story, you know, using fighting and lupus, um, but instead of the the fighter getting lupus, his daughter does to make it more relevant to um, the actual. Like like I'm not saying that standing eight isn't relevant, but only about 10% of lupus patients are men. So I want to, if we're going to do a feature project, I want to represent the the ninety percent of lupus patients who are are women. Okay, that's very interesting, and uh, I'll definitely be on the lookout for that. Yeah, it'll it'll be a little while, but we're we're working behind the scenes, and sure. I'm not gonna not gonna make a big announcement until you know we're locked in. But that's where I'm. That's the direction that I'm headed. I feel like it's really important to get uh, a, a feature film off the ground with a with a wide release to, to help educate all those around the people that are afflicted with lupus, medical professionals, family, friends, coworkers, you know, the guy working at the bodega. Like if, I feel like if people, if people really understood the effects of lupus, um, there would be, there would be some bigger strides in, uh, not only advocacy, but in, in finding a cure. Yeah. It all starts with awareness and, I think what you're doing yeah. is fantastic. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, and you're 100% right. Awareness is where it, where it begins. You need the more awareness, the more funds for research, eventual cure. That's my thought process. Uh, another tonal shift. Um, very recently, you had a role in Dolomite Is My Name. Yes. Um, yes. That seems to be taking you know the internet by storm. So, do you want to? talk about that how it was working with someone as legendary as eddie murphy i mean you did denzel and keanu so it's kind of kind of your thing now <laughs> yeah I, I, it's funny i got i got I get to get uh i get to um you know give an eyeline to my uh to my childhood heroes um eddie murphy was awesome uh it, it was it was again it was surreal uh he he showed up he was he was he was friendly he was excited uh, he really, really, really was passionate about making Dolomite is my name, uh, and the film itself is just—it's great. I think it's probably of this year. It's my favorite film that I've seen thus far. It's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's about the artist's struggle, so I can relate to it. 
you know, uh, Rudy Ray Moore, who the film is about, really decided to take control of his of his career and validate himself. And I think that that's a really powerful story, especially for those who are in creative industries where, you know, if you're an actor, your your whole career is left up to the opinions of others, you know, whether they like you enough to cast you. And then if they do cast you, do the critics like your performance enough, et cetera, et cetera. And, and Rudy just kind of circumvented that and just did what he wanted to do and made the project the characters that he wanted to make. And I think that there's, it's a very um, motivational type of a story in that sense. Not to mention it is hilarious and the cast is stellar. I'm just happy that I was able to get some screen time. Um, I play Saul Bahari, one of the four Bahari brothers who signed Rudy Ray Moore to their record label so that he can put out his, uh, his Dolomite records, um, his comedy records. So we pop up all over the movie, and I'm just, like I said, really, really happy to be in, you know, sharing screen credits with guys like Eddie Murphy and Wesley Snipes and Chris Rock and Snoop Dogg and Mike Epps, uh, you know, even um, uh, Bob Odenkirk makes a little uh, cameo. It's just a great, great project. And yeah, absolutely. So Stack cast and like you said, hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I don't want to eat up your whole Friday, but I, I really appreciate you, appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and talk to me and our listeners. This was really interesting and phenomenal, and you've been doing some great work, and I hope things keep working out better and better for you. Well, thank you so much, Adam. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank, and, you, uh, and thank you, and thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, anytime. When you when you get your next thing going again, if you want to come back on, we can push it out there. Perfect. We'll do. We'll definitely do that. All right, great. Uh, well, you know, thank you again. I, I really appreciate it. this. Was fascinating. And as I started looking down your uh, your resume, I was like, I've seen everything this guy's been in. Like this guy is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, thank you. I've been fortunate enough to be able to, uh, you know to make it to make it happen you know i think there's there's a lot of things that go into being able to work uh in your respective field but if if it has anything to do with passion that's definitely what i'm passionate about i could never do anything else literally i could never i can't do anything other than what i'm doing now oh that's great keep keep at it (laughs) will do will do all right thanks again uh take care have a good one all right, take care. And we are back. Excellent interview, Adam. Very interesting stuff. Glad to hear it. I didn't realize he was also in Dolomite is my name. That's right, yeah. Just did on the podcast and is a fantastic film you should check out. Uh, so definitely thanks to him for coming onto the show. And I would like to say thank you, Adam, for your awesome interview. Eh, no problem. Make sure to check out his short film on Amazon. It's only a couple bucks. Definitely worth it. Check it out. And that's going to do it for another bonus episode of the So Wizard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey DiCarlo. With me, the awesome Adam Wallyhawk. We'll see you next week. Good journey. <laughs>